I'm excited to be here. Mark chapter 10, if you have a Bible, turn with me. You know, after that song service, you got to be seriously something wrong with you. You don't believe God can heal you. Hallelujah. I, I started believing God some more. I said, man, praise the Lord. You know, I'm going to minister tonight and pray for some folks. Uh, as I was sitting here this evening and I was uh, contemplating my message, I felt God dealing with me about someone here with a lower back hip problem. And so if that's you, I'd like to pray for you right now before we get any, any, go any further in this service. So if that's you, amen, stand to your feet, we'll believe God for you. Hallelujah. All right. That's you, my brother. Hallelujah. Just right, 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 right. Just put your hands on your hips. Amen. We're going to believe God with you. Uh, is it your right side? Your right lower back. Hallelujah. Father, right now, in the name of the, let's pray, church. In Jesus' name, we take authority over the spirit of infirmity. We curse it by the blood of Jesus, my God. We thank you, my God, for your faithfulness. We speak life and resurrection power in this man's body. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to reach down and touch your toes. Hallelujah. Twist your back now. Stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Twist it around. Is there a difference? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to minister a sermon that I've entitled tonight, Desperation Has a Sound. And that thought comes from a, a, a few of my own personal experiences. One was uh, I'm a father of five daughters. One of my daughters, Katrina, when she was born, she was 10 pounds, 2 ounces. And some of the ladies think, my, your poor wife. <laughs> and so, so um, she came out large, right? And so this little girl had, you know, I think she was eight months. She had wrinkles that had wrinkles. You know what I mean? She's one of those little Pillsbury Doughboy little girls. You know what I mean? She just had wrinkles and just all cuddly. And so chicken pox was going around at that time. And she got sick with the chicken pox. And so, you know, so she went through the fevers, the lesions broke out. You know, we just gave it time to run its course. And then my wife and I went out on a date, actually went to a, a marriage seminar. And then that evening we came home and my daughter should have been recovering. And we picked her up, my wife and I had picked her up and she was still crying. And we noticed that she had a fever. And then my wife happened to notice her arm. Her arm was completely swollen to the point where those wrinkles were gone. It was so tight. And so she was very tender. We couldn't even touch her. She just, with this, you know, blood-curdling cry from a little eight-month-old baby who can't tell you what's going on. And all you do as a parent is, what do I got to do here? And so we're wondering what the heck is happening. And so we rushed her to the emergency. They began to question my wife, and I asked me if I shook her or did something wrong like that. And I said, no. We explained she had chicken pox, and, you know, we thought she was on, on her way getting better, but we don't know what's going on. So they... they you know, they're trying to find a, a vein so they could pump her with some fluids because she had gone into, uh, she got dehydrated. She had a fever of 107. So a little baby's burning up, and so they're poking her, trying to find a vein, but they can't because she's so de uh, depleted of, uh, of fluids. Finally, they find a vein in the head somewhere, and so she's got a, 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 a 
thing come out of her head, and, and so they're trying to figure out what's going on. You know, they had no idea what, she, you know, what she's wrestling with, and we're frantic, you know, wondering what's going on. Doctors seem baffled at what, what it is, and I thank God that that day there was a man who was uh, doing some interns, so he had all this medical still in his, uh, in his head. And he says, well, maybe it's a, an infection that went down instead of up. And so they said, well, let's, uh, we'll have to do a test. And so, you know, here I'm holding my daughter for like three hours, crying in my arms. My wife is frantic. We're both frantic. And they take us downstairs, me and my daughter. And then they walk, you know, way down to the depths. I'd never been to this part of the hospital. It was way, way, way down below where all my kids were born. But I didn't even know this place existed. It was a nuclear facility down there. They injected her with some ink, some kind of dye. And then she was going to go and do this radiation test to see what was taking place. But while they were doing this, I was there. Me, alone with my daughter, began to wonder, began to talk to God. How many know when you're, you're desperate, you start to talk to God? And so I, 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 I didn't know where to turn. And so here I am by myself. And I said, God, you gave me this precious little girl. I trust you that, you know what, she's in good hands. I'm believing you to heal her. I don't know what's going to happen, but if you want to take her, Lord, she's yours, but please heal her. I don't know what to do. And so they gave the test. They done the, the thing, and, and lo and behold, they found out that, yes, she did have what they called a, a staph infection. Many kids at that time were dying in the Southern California from MRSA. And so uh, I think there was 10 kids right in the area where we were living at the time that died from this uh, infection. And so... They put a stint into her heart, an eight-month-old baby. My, doc, my wife had to play nurse for three months, pumping the antibiotics for, for th- you know, three minutes at a time, just very slowly pumping it in there. A nurse would come by daily to see how she's doing. Gradually, she got, <laughs> she got better and got healed. Uh, you know, what happened is that because that little legion was right here, they cut her wide open. So she has a scar about that long on her arm to this day. And so... I remember when she was growing up in school, you know, kids are mean. They like to pick on other kids. They're always trying to find the flaws. And so they saw, she would go to school. It would be hot, and she'd be wearing a sweater. And so I knew what it was. She was ashamed of that little scar. And so I told her, listen, I says, you know what? If anybody asks about that scar, you just tell them. Tell them the truth. Tell them we were out the beach, and you were swimming in the ocean, and a shark latched on your arm, and Daddy came by and ripped that shark off. If they don't like that one, tell me we're wrestling the alligators. But to this day, she's healed no problems. I say that because uh, I learned way back then that desperation has a sound. A couple years ago, two, three years ago, yeah, matter of fact, it's three because my daughter's 23 now. One of my other daughters, uh, I was preaching locally, and somebody, my, my wife called me and says, uh, Honey, Felicia, I think she's having, she thought it was Bell's palsy. But my daughter's face had went limp. She couldn't feel her left side. She was freaking out. My wife t- took authority. She says, calm down. We're believing God. Just don't, don't get, you know, out of control. So I went to, you know, it was during the day. I went to go meet him at the hospital. At, at the hospital. I met him there. And as I got there, they're hauling my daughter off in an ambulance to a, a local hospital saying that she had suffered a stroke. 20 years old. My daughter had a stroke, and so immediately, I'm desperate for God to move. I'm desperate for God to heal my daughter. 
You know, all the lies start to come in your head. Oh, no, she's not going to be able to walk. She's not going to be able to function in life. Uh, everything's flashing in your head. And I'm thinking, you know, wait a minute, God could help her. So I sent a bunch of texts. I was saying, please pray for my daughter. And please call upon God to heal her and help her. And so, you know, the process came. They came back with all the tests, the, the MRIs, all the scans they did. Said, yes, she did have a stroke. Yes, we don't. They were trying to find out why. Was it stress-related? Was it, you know, some kind of thing? On and on it goes. And so over the next three months, they kept on giving her tests. I'm preaching in New Mexico. And my wife calls me. She says, I went to the doctor today. And guess what they said? I says, I don't tell me. <laughs> and he says, well, the doctor says, you know, Mrs. Gomez, we know that she had a stroke on such and such day. But according to our tests, we have no evidence that she's ever had a stroke. Amen. And, and so my wife immediately says, well, that's because God healed her. And the doctor says, well, I don't know all about all that. I'm just telling you what we see. We see this is what the tests say. This is what the tests said then. And maybe we made a mistake, but there's no evidence of a stroke in your daughter. And my wife again says, no, that's because God healed her. And I say that because, once again, desperation had a sound in my life. You know, there are people in any given congregation that have needs. They come to church and they have a need for healing in their marriage. They have a, a need for a wayward child that's backslidden or going astray, and they want so desperately to hold on to them. Sometimes there's people in, in a congregation in physical healing. You know, they get to a point in life where they just deal with it. You know, they either deal with it with medication. They go and they just constantly refill that medication. This is something I'm going to have to live with because, you know, I can't get this pain healed up, so I'm just going to take this medication. So they're tired of amen, trying to amen, contend for healing, so they just come and they exist uh, with pain in their body, and they're covering it up with medication sometimes people are broken inside emotionally they're hurting they're confused feeling lost and they need God to touch them there whatever it is there are people that in all settings that, that need God to move upon their lives when I say desperation has a sound that means there's something from within us that cries out to God sometimes it's audible sometimes it's just a yearning God I need you to help me I want to look at this text in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Isn't that something that here is the, the almighty God in the flesh, the one who knows everything, asking this man what he wants him to do for him. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. I want to consider as we get into this message tonight, the place of missed opportunity. Because there are times and seasons in life where you have an opportunity to see God do something. And you have to be very careful that you don't miss the opportunity. 
Because God is not always going to be there. There was a time when Jesus uh, was on the outskirts of Jerusalem overlooking, and he says uh, with a burdened heart, said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've longed to gather you like a mother hand wants to gather her chicks. He says, But you've missed this, your hour of visitation. They missed an opportunity to be connected to the Son of God, to be, amen, a part of what God was doing in that moment. They missed it because they didn't see it. Maybe they didn't believe it. Both those things together, maybe they were too busy about their own affairs to not realize the opportunity came and left. Our text says in verse 46, I'll read it slow so it makes more sense. It says, now they came to Jericho. And it says, as he went out of Jericho, with his disciples, a great multitude, blind Maus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Jesus comes to Jericho, this great big city. We don't know how long he was there, whether it was a day or two. The Bible doesn't point this out, but we do know that he came out of Jericho. And so what took place in that period of time, we can say nothing happened noteworthy inside of Jericho, no miracles, no healings, no forgiveness, no preaching the word of God, because uh, Jesus came into a place and perhaps they didn't see who he was, weren't looking for him, weren't aware of who this man that was there and had this crowd following. Whatever it is, Jesus came there and then left and nothing took place. I wonder, in a city this large, could Jesus come to a church like this and then leave and nobody miss it? Nobody even tell he was there. Come to a place to perform a miracle, to bring healing to a, a body that is hurt, a soul that is hurt, amen, a marriage that is in desperate need of a miracle and yet miss it because they were too busy with themselves, too busy looking elsewhere. Sometimes... Jesus passes through places, and nothing happens. You know, we see in the, t in the scripture, the Bible says that he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. He's there, and, you know, because uh, there's a familiarity with him. This is Jesus. That's the son of the carpenter, Mary. We know his brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes when you grow up around religious folks, I'm so thankful I didn't grow up religious. Because I didn't have to be convinced that there's power in the great name of Jesus. I didn't have to be convinced uh, that there was a God who could change somebody like me. That you know that you just could walk into church on drugs like I did and walk out totally set free like I did. I'm so glad I didn't have that. But yet familiarity, uh, familiarity starts to breed contempt. You start to you know get used to things as usual. And so here's the Messiah. He comes by to visit. He wants to do a miracle. He wants to help. He wants to minister. And yet because of their unbelief, the Bible says he could not do very many miracles there. In his own hometown, few people got healed, but for the majority, they missed the opportunity to see God do something in their life. I wonder tonight, we can sing the songs, I feel there's a great atmosphere of faith, thank God for that, but sometimes we can be in the midst of a congregation that is believing God and yet we ourselves aren't believing God for something. And we miss an opportunity for God to do something. What if this man in the back wouldn't have stood up when I called for somebody with back pain to stand up? 
What if he would have just stayed sitting down thinking, well, I'm okay, that's all right. See, like I said, I'm, I, I'm still, there's I'm still somebody here. You didn't stand up and you should have stood up. You should have stood up because you know you have pain right there. And you just, you, you've been taking medicine for it and you think, well, I'll just get better. It just comes and goes there, preacher. Well, aren't you tired of it coming? You have an opportunity sometimes to get healed. And, amen, because uh, you, you, you get so familiar with things, you just kind of, well, if it's my time, then God will heal me. It's your time. I want to consider seizing the opportunity. Our text says uh, in verse 47, when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He heard something. In other words, uh, this man had grown uh, with ability. Of course, you can't see. Obviously, he, he had trained his ear to be a little more keen to what was going on. Some of you listen to the wrong person sometimes. Sometimes you're listening to the lies of the devil saying, oh, you can't get healed, or, or the negative people around you are influenced what can and can't be done within the bounds of faith, and you don't want to go over believing God for too great of a miracle. You want to keep everything within the, even the perspective of understanding. Well, I don't understand how I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't understand how I got saved. I don't understand how God did what he did in my life, but I thank God he did. I can't explain it. I can't find it in a book anywhere. But all I know is a miracle took place when I was there to seize an opportunity. It was set before me. The Bible says he heard that Jesus was passing by. He heard uh, that this Messiah, perhaps he, perhaps he heard rumors of this uh, Messiah coming his way. The one who's healed the sick, who's healed other blind men, who's healed the lepers, uh, who's forgiven the worst of sinners. Uh, he's hearing this and he's starting to believe something in his life. Let me tell you something. You've got to have an ear to hear what God is saying to you. You've got to be able to listen with him in your heart, uh, your heart growing in faith when you hear the word of God. Does anybody like to hear preaching? You know, it took my wife years, years for her, for her to convinced me to get rid, I know I'm dating myself, of my cassettes. I had cassettes from conference, cassettes from discipleship class, cassettes from rallies, uh, from sermons that had been preached in our church revivals. I had them stocked up and saved. My wife says, why are you saving them? I says, because those uh, saved my bacon. She says, when are you going to get rid of them? We don't even have a cassette player anymore. I've got everything stocked up now on MP3 files. Stores a lot easier. But the issue is hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what it says in Romans 10. And right there before verse 17 and verse 14, it says, how will they hear without a preacher? How are they going to hear, amen, something that's going to stir their heart to believe God for their circumstances, for their personal needs? How are they going to hear without a preacher? Thank God the day I walked into church that there was a man standing behind a pulpit who preached the gospel. Didn't tell me I could be a better me. Didn't tell me God just wanted to bless my life. He told me the real truth, and I'm so thankful for that because it changed my life. Does your faith get stirred when you hear the word of God preach? I know you guys get some good cooking here. I know you do. I've listened to Pastor Marty's sermons many times, and I've always been blessed. See, the altar call, wherever it might be, is a place where we seize the opportunity. Up at the altar where we can meet with God and do business with what we've heard. 
We heard something. Now we seize the opportunity to respond in faith. God, you spoke to me. God, you convicted. God, you challenged me. We come to the altar and says, now I want to apply this to my life. I want to step out in faith and believe this for my life. Believe it for a breakthrough, for a healing, for deliverance, for whatever it might be. Bartimaeus cried out. In other words, you have to make your need known. You got to tell Jesus what you want. There's a song like that, I think. Jesus on the main line. That's right. Tell him what you want. Because he's ready to hear. Bible says he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Three quick thoughts here. One is that he lifts up that great name of Jesus. The great, awesome name of Jesus. You know, if you're ever alone by yourself and you're just going to begin to talk out loud and begin to say that name, Jesus. I, I, I challenge you to say it a couple of times without getting excited. Trying to just sit in your car by yourself or in your living room or something, just Jesus. And just begin to think of all the things that he's done for you. Now, you all some good folks, man, but I'm telling you, I wasn't a good person. And when I think about Jesus, what he's done for me, oh, I can't help but start to tell somebody about it. Here he is, his Jesus. He begins to cry out about that great name, above every name, unashamedly. He didn't care what people were thinking. He didn't care what people were saying. He wanted to get the attention of the Son of God. There's something powerful in the name of Jesus. There's still power in the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood that he shed heals the sick, heals the lost sinner, amen, cleanses every disease there is. There's power in that great name, and this is the thing that he first cried out of his mouth. Jesus. And he said, son of David, son of David, he heard as he sat on that road about this possibly being the Messiah. It was a political statement. It was a statement to also declaring this is a savior. He didn't even know him personally, but he already believed that he was a savior. He already believed that he could say he is the promised one. He is the Christos, the Christ, the anointed one. And he said without shame, son of David. He cried out publicly in front of everybody to know that, you know what, I'm calling upon the one who can forgive me and heal me and set me free. I'm telling you, there's something powerful that happens when you come to a place, you're seizing the opportunity, and you begin to declare publicly the one who can heal you, save you, change you. That is why we challenge people to come publicly and confess and turn from their sins. To come uh, and, and do business with God. I know you might want to do it in your own seat because you're so full of yourself. So full of pride and excuses. But I'm telling you, there's something powerful when you take an opportunity to go forward and say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I need a miracle. God, I'm tired of being like this. And then you begin to declare with your mouth, Jesus, Son of David, save me. Change me. He says, have mercy on me. You know, we all need a little mercy. The Bible's very clear. It says we all stumble in many things. We all stumble. Ain't nobody in heaven yet. We're not a new man that, in that way. God is still working in us. We need his mercy. We need his grace. His unmerited favor. 
You know, then the people around him tried to shut him up. Yeah, there was a phrase. I think it came from the South. Maybe a few years ago. Y'all remember that phrase? Ain't nobody got time for that. Right? Y'all remember that? Ain't nobody got time for that. That's where they're telling blind Bartimaeus here. Ain't nobody got time for that. You just keep it to yourself. You know what? We, we're doing business here rubbing elbows with Jesus. We ain't got time for you. We ain't got time for the, amen, this, this, this nonsense here that you're believing God for. Let's get down to other business. They're trying to push him aside. But let me tell you, Jesus hears the cry of the desperate heart. He hears the cry of the one who's hurting and needs a miracle. And the closer he got, the louder he got. Oh, let me tell you, they tried to tell me, he said, the Bible said he cried out all the more. He didn't care. And you're, Jesus! He was trying to get his attention. He couldn't see, he could have been standing right in front of him, but he just wanted the attention of God. I tell you tonight as I close, God hears the sound of desperate faith. See, Jesus stopped at this man's cry in his desperation. You know, he went to Jericho, and he went out of Jericho. The only miracle we see transpire in this portion of his journey was one desperate man cried out. One desperate man cried out for a miracle. One desperate man in need and wasn't going to have no given to him. The Bible says, so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you. You know, there's a flip side to this thought. Man, it's just because you're loud doesn't mean you're desperate. You know, how many know somebody loud? You know? You want, you want to elbow them right now, but you know, you're probably in your own chair. Just because you're loud doesn't mean you're desperate. Sometimes you just want somebody to feel sorry for you. That's why you're always trying to get up, make sure you're in the front of the line to talk to the pastor after church. It's pastor, you don't know how it is. It's hard. You don't, you know, and, and you, you, know, you probably got it better than everybody else in the church, but you think you're the worst one that's got it going on. So you're loud trying to, I need some attention. I need some help. No, you just want some attention. Like I say, just because you're loud doesn't mean you're desperate. Sometimes we want somebody to feel sorry for us. You know that, that old phrase, misery loves company? You know, so we like to sing the blues to somebody. We're going to go around and tell everybody how bad it is until somebody goes, you know, I feel for you, bro, sis. Because we want somebody to recognize how hard we have it. How rough it is to serve God in our shoes. Huh. Looking for pity. You know, can I pop your religious bubble tonight? Jesus doesn't feel sorry for you. <gasps> he doesn't feel sorry for you. He will have compassion on you. He will show mercy on you. But he's not going to bow down and give ear to you complaining and whining all the time. Let's consider this man's response. In verse 50. So throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what do you want? You know, God will only respond to the measure of faith that we display. It's easy to say we believe God. It's easy to say, yes, Lord, I believe. Wonderful song service. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask for those songs because I want those songs so I can take them back to Colton with me. 
But we can sing the songs and, and develop an atmosphere within the congregation. And yet, still not believe God to help us. Still not be ready for him to move upon our lives. We say we do. But we see this man displaying something. Faith. Something that was visible to Jesus. Something that was tangible to the point where he stopped because it got his attention. He didn't stop once in Jericho. He was leaving that city, but one man who had faith and was desperate believed God. And Jesus stopped. Because we already know God can do anything. If you don't know, you can read the sign above me. Right? With God, all things are possible. Sometimes your miracle, your breakthrough, your deliverance, your healing is determined by your faith. Faith is an action. Faith is something that is working. It's not stagnant. It's not standing still. It's moving. And as we give our faith to God, God, I'm believing you to do what I can't do. Believing what I can't even begin to comprehend what you can do. <laughs> I was sharing with Pastor Marty today about my other daughter who had a stint put in her brain when she was uh, uh, born. She has silver palsy, so she has a tube running from the top of her head down through her back into her stomach. And when we first started Pioneer, she got this when she was two pounds. So we went at Pioneer, and then what happened is that it got clogged, and so they had to replace it. And so they went to the other side. And the doctor went into her stomach to lengthen that cord. And he said to my wife and I, he says, have you ever already had this surgery done? He said, no. He says, well, somebody's already lengthened this cord. <laughs> I, know who, I know who did it. He says, I, I, I'm just telling you, he says, it looks like somebody lengthened it. You sure you didn't have this surgery? No, she's never had This is the first time. And so my wife and I, we just looked and said, man, God is so good to us. Man, God is so awesome. And we didn't even know he was at work and he was working. We didn't know he did a miracle and he already did a miracle. Man, I tell you, sometimes uh, your breakthrough, your miracle is determined by your own faith. That's why you have to seize the opportunity. When God begins to challenge your faith, don't sit there and look. Get up and start walking. Start going, amen, with what God is challenging. The Bible says that Barnabas stood up and he cast aside his garment. What's that mean? You know, here's this young boy, and he brought joy to his parents as, a, as all young boys did in that day. This is someone they're going to be able to pass on the family business to, the inheritance and carry on the family name. But you know what? He's been set back with a disability. He's blind. So now he goes from a joy and a blessing. I know they loved him, but it comes a point in time where he's got to fend for himself. They can't. He's a burden now. And there was no government to help him out somebody he can get a check from and so as he's growing you know somebody out of the kindness of their heart probably gave him a garment probably not just him but other blind folks too why because it was written in the law of Moses about helping those who are blind if he's about to fall in a ditch you help him around and so maybe that garment helped him the public identify him. He's a man in need. 
He needs some assistance. He can't see what's going on around him. And so this was an identity that was placed upon him. Something that he grew comfortable with. Perhaps that cloak gave him warmth during the cold nights. He would, you know, wrap himself up a little tighter, realizing, you know, here I got, at least I got a blanket to keep warm with. Sometimes he would just throw that, that cloak out in front of him on the road there of Jericho and hoping for some kindness of some people passing by and throw some coins in his thing. And because he was blind, he couldn't see, so he'd pick it up by the four corners and shake it all to the middle and gather what was in there and put it in his, it was a means of his living. His sustenance. And yet here he is displaying faith. He stood up. I ain't going to be like that no more. I'm not going to be bound to what I used to be. I'm not going to be, amen, dependent upon my old life, my old thinking, how I was born. I'm going to believe God that I can see. Oh, hello, somebody. He believed God for a miracle. He stood up and cast it aside. Oh, sometimes uh, we got to do things like that. We got to cast aside that cloak of unbelief that we've been holding on to. It's our little security blanket. We cling to it. We don't want to let it go when we're challenged. Uh, we'll say all the religious things. Oh, I believe God. Well, it's God's will to heal me. If it's God's time, on, 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 on. we can list them all off. But we're holding on to that cloak. I'll just hide behind my religious garment. I'll hide behind my religious excuses. I'll let somebody else step out in faith. But here's this man. He said, I don't want to be like that. Well, I'm going to cast it aside. Sometimes you've got to cast aside your own pride, your own ego. You, you, you're afraid, what if it don't work? What if I don't get healed? I'll be honest with you. I prayed for a lot of folks, and not everybody's gotten healed. <laughs> Just the way it works. If I was a proud man, it would be a shot to my ego. Why even bother praying for folks? Why even try to believe God with somebody if I can't even see somebody get healed? Hello, let me tell you something. I was in San Antonio just a few weeks ago, and I felt the Holy Ghost deal with me about praying for people with bad knees. I've had three knee surgeries. They say, i got to get my knees replaced. God deals me about praying for people with bad knees. So I make the call, eight people show up, all of them get healed, and I'm like, Lord, what about me? <laughs> what about these knees? But do I not pray for people because I haven't yet received healing? I'm believing God. I'm believing God. But sometimes we want to hold on to our excuses and not step out in faith. See, God hears the sound of desperate faith. In Matthew 15, there was a Canaanite woman. She's not even a child of God. But she heard about this Jesus. You know what she says? The same thing Bartimaeus did. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. She's calling him Savior. She's calling out to him. And she's not even a Jew. And the disciples tell her, send her away. We ain't, got, you know, ain't nobody got time for that. There's that thing again. And Jesus basically brushes her off. He says, you know, I didn't come here but for the, ch for the children. He says, yes, master, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. And he stopped. He says, woman, great is your faith. That very hour, her daughter was healed. 
Demons had power over that young, that young girl, and yet at, from that moment on, she was liberated. In Luke 19, there's a story in, Jer- there's in Jericho. There's a man named Zacchaeus. The Bible says he's a short man. He's a short man, and because he's short, he can't see what's happening in, in, with the crowd in front of him. He knows Jesus is passing by because he heard about it. So he goes to the nearby sycamore tree and he climbs up and he looking over to see the crowd and he sees Jesus. Jesus stops and looks up to him and says, make haste. Today we're having fellowship at your house. Oh, man, wouldn't we like that? Jesus stopped by and visit us. Well, sometimes you got to go out on the limb. Sometimes you got to take a step of faith to see what God can do in your life. Luke chapter 7, there's a centurion that has a sick servant. And he sends a word. He says, tell Jesus, he says, I'm a man of authority just like you. He says, my servant's sick. All you've got to do is speak a word. Don't even bother coming to my house. He says, because I know your word means something. He says, you know, and he explains. He says, I tell people to do this and they do that. I tell them to go do this and they do that. And Jesus stopped and says, I have never seen such great faith, not even in Israel. He's talking about a centurion, a heathen man who believed that all Jesus had to do was speak a word. Sometimes desperation has a sound that cannot be heard. There's a woman in the Bible named Hannah. She desperately needs a miracle. She's tired of being barren. She's tired of the the short end of the stick. She's loved by her husband, but you know what? Just doesn't seem to satisfy. She wants to have a child. The Bible, she's there at the temple and she's praying. The Bible, you can read the sermon. She's praying. Her lips are moving. Eli the priest is watching all this. Her lips are moving, but there's no sound coming out. Oh, let me tell you, sometimes desperation has a sound that cannot be heard. Sometimes when you're all by yourself, you're crying out to God, I need a miracle. I can't even tell you how bad I need it. And yet that woman touched the heart of God because she had a boy named Samuel. Hallelujah. What about you tonight? Are you desperate? You know, I believe some of us are Pentecostals in here, right? A couple of us anyways, right? Praise the Lord. You know, Pentecost has a sound of desperation. Hello? Pentecost has a sound of desperation. It's always in the prayer room. People crying out to God. God, we need you. Those people, amen, who heard the promise of Jesus didn't know what was coming down their way. But they were desperate for the power from on high. They were desperate for him to visit them. They were desperate for what they needed to do what he called them to do. And no matter how long you stay saved, you've got to be in a place where you remain desperate for God. God, I need you. Maybe you're fine health-wise. Maybe you're fine in your marriage. Maybe you're fine in your finances. Oh, but it's been so long that you've actually had a touch from God uh, that you wouldn't know that came up and slapped you upside the head. And you got to say, God, I need you to touch me. I need revival in my soul. I need the Holy Ghost to come down and touch me. Desperation has a sound. Are you desperate tonight? You need to seize the opportunity. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight. Maybe you're here this evening and you're desperate. 
but you don't know why you're, what you're really desperate for. You want change. You want a difference. You're tired of the way things are in your life. And you have yet to realize that you know what the answer you're looking for is in this place tonight. His name is Jesus. He died for you. Bore your shame, your guilt, your reproach, your sickness, your disease on Calvary's cross. That if you would publicly declare him as Lord, confess your sins, confess he's Lord and repent of your sins, that you could be born again. 